please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. in my step. <laughs> come in, come in. Winter is near upon us. Our last task before it is harvest. Seeds have yielded all manner of fruit and all manner of consequences. We enter this sacred space bringing our whole selves, the parts we like and the parts we do not. We come together each with our own harvest, seeking here a word of comfort an experience of beauty, inspiration to guide us. Let us ground ourselves in that purpose, ground ourselves in body and soul. Winter is near upon us. Sunlight gives way to night. The coldness grows closer, doesn't it? Gathering together, we seek warmth in one another's company. We seek the eternal light that permeates all. Whatever your harvest, whatever your pain or joy, here you are welcome and will be held. Let the warmth flow to you and through you. Feel the healing strength of this community. Know that you are not alone. You are not alone. That here you have found companions for the journey. Grounded in that spirit. Grounded in the spirit of thanksgiving. Come, let us worship together. Please join in singing hymn 298, Wake Now My Senses. i 
be seated. I wanted to make sure I was the one who got to push the step in. Like, why is it in? As a default, like, Angela's the minister. Um, hi. Welcome to this space on this Sunday. I'm Iris. I want you to take a moment and look around you, behind you. Sit patiently as the person in front of you turns around. We're people in a room. We're not strapped in at Disneyland. Although I'm headed there in a week. We're in a room together, and we're going to talk and sing and maybe move around. But you're all a part of this. Anyone who comes through the door for the first or the thousandth something, something time, you're a part of this. You are new. We all process surroundings differently. Do you need to scribble notes or doodle? Fidget? Do you have an extra one? Does an electronic device you keep close keep you well and sometimes make noise? That's no surprise. Must be in a room with 50 times as many people as were in the room earlier. That was bad math, but. Do you need to unmask? Or do you need to mask that much more precisely? Maybe you don't have a choice. Parents and other caregivers, sometimes it's enough just to get here. We hold space for you and the decisions around engaging in activities for your generation, like your kids do. We provide physical space to hopefully make the uneasy moments, well, maybe not easy, but smoother, one with options. We have a playground up front here. This is a great place for the smallest congregants. There's an art table at the back with coloring pages and a family room across the hall to play more freely in. A cozy, soundproof den with a live feed of the sanctuary, but where you and fellow parents can finally let loose. Every generation, every body, Everything you bring makes this community what it is. And you make it what it's now going to be.
let's breathe. Let's prepare ourselves for some meditation and prayer now. the news, and there's your life, and all that you brought with you this morning. Just breathe. And whatever there is, let it wash over you. Settle into your seat. Sometimes when I try to center myself for meditation, I try to really get let go of tension. I feel a little bit like a leaf falling from a tree, like they are right now, you know, kind of like I get a little bit relaxed and then something kind of <laughs> lifts me back up like a gust, you know, until I finally, finally, finally am there. And so if that's a helpful image for you, I invite you to settle. Settle. Rachel Naomi Remen says, perhaps the most important thing we bring to another person is the silence in us. Not the sort of silence that is filled with unspoken criticism or a hard withdrawal, but the sort of silence that is a place of refuge, of rest, of acceptance of someone as they are. We're all hungry for this other silence. It's hard to find. In its presence, we can remember something beyond the moment, a strength on which to build a life. We'll continue in meditation, a time of relative silence, relative stillness here in the center of the city. Yes, <laughs> right here with our bodies that make little noises and traffic and all of it. Let any sounds you hear just be like meditation chimes calling your attention to the present. We'll continue for two more.
up some prayers in our community. I invite you to think of the people and places in your hearts today. Anybody you have a word of prayer for? Are there names to your minds, to your lips? And speak them aloud as the chime rings if you wish so that we can hold them with you. spoken and unspoken prayers, and I lift up Lydia, whose students today have a performance. They benefit for the Children's Hospital. I hope that that goes very well. We encourage them and hold them in our thoughts as they do this good work. All of these we lift up to the great powers of peace and healing and renewal that we call by many names. And we lift up our veterans on this Veterans Day weekend gratitude and compassion with prayers for them and for their families. And we pray that all who seek the comfort of a friend today find it. Let us dedicate ourselves to being friends. We pray that all who feel like outsiders are brought into community. Let us dedicate ourselves to welcoming each other. We pray that all who face oppression find courage and strong allies. Let us dedicate ourselves to speaking up and standing with. We pray for peace in Israel, in Gaza, for the return of hostages and for the protection of innocents. We pray for peace all over the world, in our city, in our homes, in our hearts. Let us model peacemaking with our words and actions. And we pray that this world's beauty and its abundance of loving hearts and resilience, its capacity for healing, this deep current of love and justice are strengthened and celebrated. Let us dedicate ourselves to joy and gratitude, to being present, patient, and persistent, to being faithful and steady. Peace be with you.
This song that I'm going to sing uh, called Gratitude was actually written with a friend of mine, Kathy Walsh, who wrote a series of children's books called Joy O' oh Boy. This is actually the, the title of the first book in the series, Gratitude. So you might want to think about all the little kids because that's who we were working with when we were teaching this song. Everyone you meet and you'll fly high Like swinging from the stars and soaring through the sky Gratitude each day and it will come back to you Look in the mirror and see Just how magical life can be Connected through rays of love. Send love to everyone you meet and you'll fly high. Like swinging from the stars and soaring in the sky. Show gratitude each day and it will come back to you. Look in the mirror and see just how magical life can be. magical life can be got such a sweet service for you today. You may have heard of Robin Wall Kimmerer's book called Braiding Sweetgrass. Yes, some, oh yeah, I see lots of heads nodding out there. She published Braiding Sweetgrass in 2013, and then several years later, it made it to the New York Times bestseller list just by word of mouth, basically. It just really caught on. And she has continued writing and doing interviews since then. I would say that Robin Wall Kimmerer is a wise person, like one of those people we need as a public thinker. She is a prophetic voice for our times, but it's, she is one who is also simultaneously very soothing, right? very 
gentle. And I don't know about you, but I could really use something that is real and soothing today. <laughs> yeah? So I'm going to draw a lot from Robin Wall Kimmerer this morning. I'm going to draw in particular from an essay she published last fall in Emergence magazine. The essay is called The Service Berry, An Economy of Abundance. And in it, she compares economics to what she knows about plants, both as a botanist and as a member of the citizen Potawatomi nation, indigenous to this continent. So yes, it is about berries and it is about economics, but it is also about the miraculous, seemingly unremarkable gifts that surround us and offer themselves to us each day. Yes, even in a city in the desert. So how about that? The service berry, which you may have never heard of, is a berry that grows wild. And it's one of those plants that has a lot of other names, like sugar plum or shadbush or juneberry or a whole list of other names, which Robin Wall Kimmerer says is always a sign to botanists that the plant is very valuable. The more names it has, the more valuable it must be. The Potawatomi word for service berry is bozakmin. Its root, min, bozakmin, min, is also the root word uh, in the names of other berries, like blueberries and strawberries, and also apples and maize. That root, min, is the word for gift. So it's like calling blueberries blue gifts and raspberries ras gifts. I grew up in Oregon where berries really are like gifts. They grow everywhere, especially blackberries, but also, if you know where to look, salmon berries and huckleberries and wild strawberries and many, many more. Fresh berries are probably the last thing left that can make me very, very homesick for the Pacific Northwest. I miss them a lot. And they're so abundant there. It is a blessing and a curse sometimes, honestly. My little sister lives on a big piece of land in the Willamette Valley in Oregon, and she had to get goats and a tractor specifically to deal with blackberries. If you ignore blackberry bushes in Oregon, they'll take over a whole field. They grow along roadsides, even the freeway. They grow along ditches and in yards. I have never known an Oregonian who intentionally planted blackberries. <laughs> because first of all, they're already everywhere. And second, you cannot unplant them, <laughs> not really. Even if you try to remove them using three goats and a tractor, they might grow back again. Just ask my little sister. <laughs> Since blackberries are so prolific and they don't require extra water or fertilizer to grow, a person might rightly wonder why they are so expensive in stores. Store-bought blackberries are usually rather firm. They're not very sweet and a tiny container of like maybe 30 of them is like $6, right? Why? The reason they're so expensive is because they grow in dense, extremely thorny thickets. My sister's baby goats, which are so cute, <laughs> chomp through those thickets, no problem. It does not worry them at all. But if you're a human, you have to reach very carefully, just like very, very precisely through the dense thorny branches 
to grab one berry at a time. And it's no use trying to wear gloves to do it because when you're picking wild blackberries, you don't want those firm ones that hold up in a container in a store. You want the fat, sun-sweetened ones that will just turn to mush if you try to grab them with a leather glove. Whenever I go back to Oregon in the late summer, I always end up with scratches like all over my hands and arms from foraging blackberries. And it is totally worth it. <laughs> blackberries, gifts from the land. We don't specifically deserve them. There's nothing we've done to earn them. They just appear. They are an undeserved gift, which I might add is the definition of the theological word grace, an undeserved gift. They're part of such a graceful ecosystem, an inherently generous system in which the gifts of each part contribute to the abundance of the whole. Considering the service berries, Robin Wall Kimmerer describes the energy it takes for a plant to make sweet berries like that. The plant has to get energy from the sun, another gift giver, and then convert it into sugar, a kind of stored energy. The plant doesn't store up that abundant energy for itself, but gives it away first in nectar, nectar-filled flowers for the pollinators, and then in calorie-filled berries for the birds and the people and the other winged and legged creatures. Snakes do not eat berries. I looked it up. <laughs> Didn't want to leave the snakes out. There they are, just gifts for the taking. Picture a small, leafy service berry tree, branches laden with purple and red berries that just come off right in your hand. Service berries taste a little bit like other kinds of berries and have a crunch that's kind of like an apple, but they're also unlike all of those things. They are a unique gift, as each natural food is. When's the last time you ate something like that? Or how about when's the last time you ate a regular bite of any fruit, like even from a grocery store, and really noticed it? Or even a vegetable, or any kind of food. A wild berry feels special in part because it's such a direct gift, right? We see it at the source firsthand, and we feel so lucky to find it right there. But all fruits and vegetables and herbs, and spices, and nuts, and tea, and coffee, and, and, and. They all start out just that way. We can see them that way anytime if we just look at them right, right? If we just set our minds right. Robin Wall Kimmerer writes, In the presence of such gifts, gratitude is the intuitive first response. The gratitude, she says, flows toward our plant elders, and it radiates to the rain, to the sunshine, to the improbability of bushes spangled with morsels of sweetness in a world that can be bitter. Morsels of sweetness in a world that can be bitter. Morsels of nourishment in a world that can make us so tired and so hungry. In the presence of such gifts, gratitude is the intuitive first response. And when we feel grateful, our second intuitive response is reciprocity. What can I give in return for this abundance? Maybe we water a plant or we weed out a nearby invasive species of plant. Maybe we give back in a less direct way, 
expressing our gratitude by giving to someone else, whether that someone is a plant, a person, or another kind of animal. Robin Wall Kimmerer calls this a kind of gift economy, a system of giving, gratitude, and reciprocity. So here's the economics part, but it's pretty great too, so stay with me. Gift economies are a real kind of economy. They're not just for ecosystems. Gift economies are systems of exchange where gifts are given with no explicit expectation of reward. Reciprocity is generally expected, but unlike bartering or buying, it doesn't have to be direct to be reciprocal. Giving and receiving just flow freely so that everybody gives from what they have and receives what they need from others. Kimmerer tells the story of an anthropologist who was studying a hunter-gatherer tribe. The anthropologist observed a hunter catch a really large animal, like way too large for the hunter's own family to eat. So the anthropologist asked him how he was going to store the meat. Was he going to smoke it or dry it or salt it or something like that? The hunter was very confused by this question. Store the meat, he said. I store the meat in the belly of my brother, and he invited everybody to come and have a feast. In a gift economy, a person is considered wealthy if they have enough to share. Abundance is managed by giving it away. The hunter knew that later somebody else would have an abundance of another food. The community would thrive through reciprocity, through relationship, through a gift economy. Keeping all of those berries, like trying to hoard them, would be no use to a service berry tree. Instead, it uses its flowers and its berries to develop a relationship with pollinators and birds and other creatures that eat the berries. The tree develops a mutually beneficial relationship in which its flowers get pollinated and its seeds get spread around, and the pollinators and the critters take part because they benefit from the calories, and if you watch them, they are clearly also delighted, just as we are when we find those things. What about these trees, though? Like, have you ever wondered about the fact that we call trees it? They're often these magnificent beings that are so much older than we are. But we ask them it, we call them it, we say, what kind of tree is it? Or where does it grow? Robin Wall Kimmerer points out that if we call a person it, that is considered extremely, extremely rude. For our own species, we say they or she or he or something like that. But for other species, and especially for plants, in English, we just say it. In the Potawatomi language, there's a different distinction between things or beings. And the distinction is between animate and inanimate. And it's impossible in that language to speak of other living beings as its, because they're alive. And by the way, water and rocks and other natural things are also considered alive in the Potawatomi language. They're alive in a different way than a bear or a butterfly, but they are alive nonetheless. Inanimate things in that language are something else. They're things made by people, for example, like a, a pulpit or a chair or a table. Only those inanimate things are its. What we call it, we objectify. But with a you, we form a relationship. We, as soon as we say you, we can sense that reciprocity, right? We can feel the you back at us. 
And when we receive something, when we receive a gift, whether we think of the source as a you or an it influences the value that we place on that thing. If your friend knits you some hand warmers, for example, those hand warmers would be much more special to you than a pair you bought from some big box store made in a factory somewhere vaguely in another part of the world. And you might worry that someone in that factory was forced to work under terrible circumstances, but they're only an idea in your mind, not really a you, right? Both do the same thing. Keep your hands warm. They could even look identical. But one feels like a gift to be cherished, and the other feels like a product generated for consumers to consume. The economic system that we all know and live in is not a gift economy. It's built on the assumption of scarcity and private property. Material things are accumulated for the benefit of the individual or they're sold for money. In our market economy, the Earth's gifts are privatized and sold as commodities. Think of spring water sold in plastic bottles. The bottles are manufactured at factories that pollute the waterways, making the fresh spring water even more lucrative for the private companies that own it. And it makes fresh water scarce, something that should have been abundant and free, so that instead of everyone having a wealth of water, that abundance is transformed into monetary wealth for a few. This is obviously destructive. We feel it when we encounter it. We know this. Considering these things, Robin Wall Kimmerer wondered whether natural ecosystems could serve as economic models for humans. And since she's a botanist and not an economist, she consulted her colleague and friend, the ecological economist, Dr. Valerie Luzaitis. And Valerie Luzaitis said, yes. She'd been waiting for that question. <laughs> yes, she said, in ecological eco economics, the focus is on creating an economy that provides for a just and sustainable future in which both human life and non-human life can flourish. She said, with a service-berry economy as our model, it prompts the opportunity for articulation of the value of gratitude and reciprocity as essential foundations for an economy. Can you imagine if gratitude and reciprocity were the essential foundations of our economy? It really is possible for humans to live in such a way as to benefit the natural world we live in. It really is possible. I'm so glad to know that there are ecological economists. They are long-term thinkers, and they're going to be really important as we find our way forward from this short-term system we have inherited. In the meantime, most of us cannot remove ourselves from the market economy and the feelings it stirs up in us or the real scarcity that it creates. But I want to suggest that we can fairly often, live as though. We can live as though in a gift economy. We can shift our perspective to one of really seeing, with really noticing and receiving the gifts that we may have come to think of as ordinary. So what are they here in this desert city that we live in? Fresh food, yes. And sunlight and water, 
even if it is routed through a tap. Think of where it came from. Air, sky, the community of creatures, animal, and plant, and other. Roadrunners, coyotes, rabbits, cottonwoods, New Mexico olive trees, turtles, beavers, porcupines, fish, frogs, great horned owls, bald eagles. You can spot all of these along the Rio Grande. I have. Yes, even bald eagles. The other day I attached a bird feeder to one of the windows of my little apartment with suction cups and I filled it up with bird seed. So now at about 8 a.m. every day, three finches, two brown, one red, come and visit it where I can just like sneakily watch them very close. <laughs> my little bird book in my hand. That is a reciprocal gift. And this is my invitation to you as we all head into the season of giving and gratitude to notice the many things you receive, to think of yourself as some kind of wealthy if you have enough of anything to share, and to join in the gift economy with its random acts of kindness and spirit of radical love. There is an economy of empathy far more vibrant than the economy of finances. The balance in your account is always changing and nobody's all that rich. It's not about that finally. It's about how we respond to the needs among us. Chances are the more timely and urgent the need, the smaller it is. Little needs, little gifts, in response to those needs. I think we're getting more acclimated to that. The tables turn pretty quickly these days, so you get familiar with both sides. Our change for the future recipient is Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women, an organization advocating for social change and providing to support Native advocates working against domestic violence sexual assault, dating violence, stalking, and sex trafficking in New Mexico's tribal communities. You can donate to the coalition by dropping moose change in the basket or marking one of the envelopes in the seat back CFF. Thank you for your generosity. Security comes from not having everything, but from community who would give anything. We receive the offering in this spirit. change it to love
Thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you on behalf of the congregation and on behalf of our Change for the Future partner. May these gifts be for blessings within and beyond our congregation. Thank you, ushers. We've got some invitations to share with you. Um, first of all, I want to draw your attention to something. Actually, a couple of these are in your printed order of service. It's the Thanksgiving Interfaith Service happening next Sunday at 3 p.m., at Congregation Albert. I'll be participating in this annual traditional service. We've been doing this for, I think, over 20 years, right, Christine? <laughs> yes, a long, long time. Um, and this year, what's not in your order of service is that the whole offering is going to the RIP Medical Debt Program, which is a program that buys medical debt for pennies on the dollar and then just forgives it, just setting people free of that terrible burden. So I hope to see you there. You're invited to a fabulous multicultural concert on Friday, December 1st, here at First Unitarian. Denver-based Miguel Espinosa Fusion will play a blend of flamenco, jazz, and world music. 
advanced tickets are available on your giving page. It says contact Susan for more information. That's Susan Peck, who is not here today. Um, but there's not a t uh, there's not a time. That one might be in your order of service as well, or um, perhaps on that giving page. There's a time in the drop down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Next, uh, artists and creators invite you to meet them in the social hall today for a little holiday shopping, if you please. Um, they've got crocheted items and jewelry and stuff like that. And what's cool is 30% of all the proceeds from that sale support our after-school tutoring program. Where is the church's food pantry? Why is it called the Arnold Room? Do we offer Sunday school at this church? Be one of the first 15 people, the first 15 to join Histories and Mysteries guides at 12.15 p.m. in the sanctuary today to find out more. All right, a Histories and Mysteries tour at 12.15. Um, the next thing I have is actually just a clarification. I've been asked to clarify that if you have um, created like a recurring uh, donation from your bank account, for example, um, and that's how you pay your pledge to the church, you might think we're just going to consider that a pledge for next year and just assume it's going to keep going. We actually don't assume that. And so in order for your pledge to help us with our planning, we'll need you to fill out a pledge card, even if you're doing that recurring gift thing. And by the way, thank you if you're doing that. It really means a lot to us. Um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago we're done with the like big up in front of you, you know, pledge campaign stuff for now. But would you like just like a little update? Do you want to know where we're at? Okay, I thought you might be curious about it. Let me get my page turned here. We currently have, as of Thursday, 287 individual pledges for a total of $695,920. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. Boils down to an average pledge of about $2,425, but I'll tell you what, that average is in a big, wide range, everything from like $5 to I don't know what the top is. Um, and it means we have about $354,000 to go. That's the update. Finally, there is a whole bunch of leftover food in the social hall. Um, and by leftover, I mean like really nice, good quality food from two big events that were catered yesterday. Sandwiches, desserts. We hope you'll stay for coffee hour and enjoy that abundance of gifts that are just sitting there waiting for you. <laughs> and as you are lingering in coffee hour, maybe you'll stop by the chat table. If you do, um, here's a discussion prompt to help get your conversations started. What gift do you receive that really stirs that feeling of gratitude and reciprocity in you? And I'm thinking of the kinds of gifts Robin Wall Kimmerer was talking about, right? What kind of gift do you receive that stirs that feeling in you? I invite everybody to rise in body or spirit. We're just going to take a moment to look at each other and greet each other with a gesture of peace. We like to just extend a hand out, one hand on our hearts. Peace. Peace to everyone. Okay, I've got one more thing I'm going to tell you. Did you know in our hymnal there's a song that exhorts us to act like a bunch of cows? There is, and I think it's perfect for today. Please open your gray hymnals to number 94 and join in with gusto. 
told you. <laughs> Go in peace, friends, and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. Blessed be. Thank you.